You're listening to Resist and Restore, a podcast from the Circle of Hope Pastors, where we're extending the table of our dialogue. I'm Johnny Rashid. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Julie Hoke. I use she, her pronouns. And Rachel's usually with us, but she isn't today because she isn't feeling well. She tells us it's not COVID, but she wanted to get extra rest, and we honor that. Do you remember before the pandemic when we would just go to work sick? <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm so glad, at least for me, I, uh, my consciousness is has really shifted. I would totally go to work sick. I, I feel I bad for not doing it. I feel like, mm-hmm. like I'm not working hard enough. Hopefully this is a, this is a, a real change that sticks, that stays with us. Totally. A culture change, even in Circle of Hope. <laughs> like when me. you're sick and you have the cold or the flu or something, your body is, slows you down. It's mm-hmm. telling you, chill, rest, you need to do this. And maybe it's also telling you, hey, don't be around other people because you could get them sick, right? Don't get them sick, yes. Yep. So what's interesting to me is like, after you're, and now I know people that after they're getting over something, even if they're not testing positive or whatever, they'll wear a mask still. So like, Mm -hmm. it's an extra, now we wear a mask after we're sick. Before, we didn't wear one and we just went in sick. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like a whole different mentality. And I think that's good. I think that consciousness is good for us. I think I learned about my own body, but also about the bodies of other people and yeah, how they're vulnerable. Yeah, that's the big shift, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. At least for me. Yeah, immunocompromised disabled people, they're part of our community, part of our society. And they were, for me, invisible until of the, till this moment. Mm. And, and I want to keep opening my eyes to them. Mm-hmm. We have a cool show coming up for you. I'm excited to share. When We Belong by Rohadi Nagasar is a book that came out just this year, and it's about how to belong in church and in the world, and I'm excited to share the conversation I have with Rohadi with you. But first, we're going to do some talk back, and I want to relate a little bit about what Matt Thiessen was sharing last week. I love the interview. I really hope you get to listen to it. Honestly, and this feels like a little bad to say, but like it was my favorite one I've ever done. Why does that feel bad to say? Because we've had so many good guests on. Uh, And I've enjoyed so many. Yeah. But Matt is writing something that I think pastors and lay people need to hear. Mm -hmm. And it is so common in Christianity Mm -hmm. to have an anti-Semitic understanding of Jesus and Paul. So much so that once your eyes are open to it, you see it everywhere. Yeah, that... I can I can relate to that. Matt's interview or your interview with him um, was just like he just kept drawing us back to the text. Here it is in the text. Here it is in the text. I'm like, oh, yeah. He's he was really illuminating for me. Um, just how much uh, awareness and g- growth I need to um, have have that lens on all the time. And, and I got some feedback personally through our Sunday meeting uh, about uh, some cultural appropriation that mm-hmm. we as Christians are doing um, and practicing even in our Sunday meeting with completely that I was completely unaware of. Um, so it was very sobering for me to hear. Yeah, Christians just take whatever they want from, from the Jewish uh, tradition and culture. Um, so I appreciated that that interview with Matt, and and I'm curious what what else are you hearing, Johnny? What other talk back is happening that's kind of um, raising our consciousness as a community? Well, we're doing some work in the Old Testament at Frankfurt Ave, the congregation that I lead, and even when we look at different passages, you you see one of the things that I'm noticing is like. God's love and God's mercy endures forever. And God continues to call back God's people into the fold, into the church, via repentance. And so the grace and the character of God throughout the Old and the New Testament hasn't ever changed. Jesus is still representing that same grace that God gave Israel. Um, He's just coming to us in the flesh, as opposed to imagining that something brand new and different is happening. Like, this is how it was, Mm. and this is how it is now. Um, 
And one of the ways that it comes up a lot, it came up a lot in how do we have a Christocentric reading of the Bible. And that's a time for a, we'll have a whole nother podcast about that one day um, without it being supersessionist. Supersessionist means we just lop off the Old Testament um, or change its meaning altogether. And so that's, that's one place where that's happening, but also like in relation to how people understand the Sabbath. You know, my friend was just saying, I want to talk about, it. I want to write a daily prayer about the Sabbath and how Jesus subverted it. And I said, well, he didn't actually subvert it. This was still the law. He still observed it, just like Matt said last week. Um, but temple practice came above the Sabbath. And what Jesus was saying legally is that worship of him, service to him came above the Sabbath. That is a legal argument that doesn't violate the law it just has a different jurisprudence you could say <laughs> um but then also what's very common from christians is to use pharisee as an insult mm. and i just noticed that on facebook the other day and someone had mentioned pharisees really knew the bible really well but didn't that but 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 that wasn't good enough and they had all these other problems and i was like well let's just be careful about what we say because jesus was probably trained by pharisees and following in their tradition was close to them and he critiqued their hypocrisy mm. not 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 their allegiance to the law mm. and it is so common for people to cite pharisees as a problem and 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 it is common on the left and the right. So, like, anti-Semitism exists everywhere, you know? Like, last year, Pete Buttigieg, last year, two years ago, whenever it was, called Mike Pence, who's a fundamentalist Christian, a Pharisee. And the Jewish community said, hey, we're Pharisees. Mm. You know? Like, this is, the, this is the line that survived. So, be careful. And that's Pete saying that Mike Pence's white supremacy is pharisaical. That's, that's, you can see how that's immediately problematic since white supremacists are anti-Semitic, you know? <laughs> so, it's like, it's a mess to do that. But then you also hear it on the other side when people say like, oh, social justice movements are all bound up by the law. They're just like going back to what it was and they're criticizing mm. activists as Pharisees too. So it happens everywhere, and mm. and Jewish people just feel the pain, and Christians have just done so much horror to Jewish people, and to add insult to injury, taking away the Judaism of Jesus. And this sounds dramatic, but it's true. It's exactly what the Nazis did, and so mm. we have to be careful about what we do um, now. And I'm just noticing that all over the place. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad. I'm I'm glad for uh, this conversation. I'm glad for the ways that our community is becoming more conscious of that, even in our own practice. And I hope we can uh, continue to correct that. Me too. Please talk back to us. Listen to the podcast today's, last week's, the week before. And let us know what you think of it. Write us at resistandrestorepodcast at circleofhope.net. And then go on to our website. Go to circleofhope.church. You can find ways to share money with us. You can see more podcast episodes, more blog posts that we've written. And if you want more people to hear this, go to the, go to the podcast, give it a high rating, write a positive review for it, and share it with other people so that we can extend the table of our dialogue as far as we can. Thanks for being a part of our show with us. Hey y'all, I'm so excited to have my friend Rohadi Nagasar on my show. Am I on our show? Am I saying that right? Rohadi Nagasar, yep. That's right. In your book you say it is pronounced exactly like it's spelled. Yeah, Rohadi. <laughs> yep. I like that, Rohadi. I'm glad you're here. And we actually you actually published a book. Um, with the same publisher that I worked with, Harold Press, so it was nice to have that commonality. The book that you, that ju you you've written three books, am I right? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Here we go. And this one just came out in 2022. It's called "When We Belong: Reclaiming Christianity 
on the margins. And it just yeah. came out this June. I really liked it. I think it speaks a lot to what Circle of Hope has been going through um, mm. and what the church has. So I want to get into the material. So yeah, yeah. Let's. Why would you feel like you needed to write this book? Well, thanks for bringing me on your show into your space here. Uh, you you honor me with uh, your invite, but uh, you know you were on my show too, and because you wrote an important book as well, so. Thanks for uh, sharing the love. And just like you, you know, writers, they need to get out the idea, right? Mm-hmm. There's something creators just do. They create, uh, some quietly, but others, they are given this idea. We capture ideas, pulling them out of seemingly thin air, and we make them real. And so when an idea strikes you, you got to do something with it. And this one struck me in different ways and it the book iterated over time but ultimately it's part memoir although it doesn't write as a total memoir and uh, part trying to announce a better way for folks who are questioning their faith formation and they Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of different ideas to say hey you don't need to go you don't need to leave like all the things that you say aren't right in your church experience and your faith formation there are better options out there and i want to present some of them some of the ideas so that you have some sense or there's light illuminating a potential for a new path towards something better, deeper, something that matches the fullness of your humanity. And so that's out there, I believe. And I wanted to add language to what I have been ministering through for the past, you know, 15 plus years. I love that. I love that. Um, There's a place for you to belong with God and in the world and if you feel disillusioned about where you've been, we can find you somewhere good. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, we can find God's got someplace good for you. It may not be the place that you, you know, you've never seen it before, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. But it's there. A key to your book is talking about our bodies and what they mean. You say, when a society, you're quoting Micah Edmondson, when a society has its knee on your neck, you need a God who will deliver souls and bodies. Mm. What does it mean when to deliver like a, a body what is it what, what what are we talking about when we say that yeah you know what so much of contemporary christianity and i'll drill it down because in america you know i'm i'm, I'm canadian but we're similar in many ways in terms of formation uh, we're more mainline up here but uh, i grew up in white evangelicalism what i would call white evangelicalism and contemporary Christianity, I think, has has reduced the gospel into the rescuing of souls. So it's immaterial, and you can just rescue your souls and escape this world for heaven in the clouds, which isn't remotely orthodox at all. Uh, there is, in fact, a bodily resurrection and a reclamation of this world. The touch and feel of this world will be reclaimed, and that's why we pray on earth as it is in heaven. Touch, totally. feel. And so we have reduced, or, or evangelicalism and others have reduced gospel into this immaterial rescue of souls. And that's not good news. That's not good news for anyone who steps outside the la- of the lap of privilege, I think. Like, mm-hmm. if you have everything, you, then you don't need to be rescued from that which is incurred on your body. And so it literally means body, what you touch and feel, which actually connects into the incarnate nature of who Jesus is, that God would come in bodily form to touch, feel, smell, experience what we experience. And so when we think of that quote, and when we think about the Christian experience and how we are rooted in the rescue uh, through incarnation, Totally. Then we need to have a salvation and good news that matters to my body here and now. The physical things, the systems that are incurred in the here and now, we need a rescue from that. We need salvation from that. We need deliverance and liberation from all that seeks to make our bodies less whole. So it's very literal. Sure, there's, we're whole beings, so there's a spiritual, there's a soul of mind, body, spirit. There's a spirit aspect, 
We can't reduce our Christianity to just spirit. There's got to be a physical liberation, salvation, one that you can touch, feel, smell. Like That's got to matter for me. And that's where I think communities need to go. Churches need to go as well. Like if your announcement of good news doesn't include the deliverance of what, what uh, all the evil that is incurred on those on the margins who have been pushed to the margins, you ain't got good news, man. Like, I, I, totally I don't want that. You. I don't want that salvation. You that's can not keep good it, news. And, and and that's also not Jesus. So I'm out. Totally but I'm in for you, this man. other thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that resilience. So often we think that we need to change who we are to belong. And I know that I, I experienced this mm-hmm. as a child of immigrants, as someone who was mm-hmm. trying to assimilate to whiteness yeah. and so on. It doesn't. Re- you say it doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And what, what, what do you think, what, what are the things that get in the way of that? I was just sharing about my own experience, but what, what gets in the way of us even knowing who we are, being who we are? You named it whiteness. I mean, that's the easy answer. What gets in the way? What gets in the way is belonging in a kind of weird fashion that our yearning to belong, and especially if you are someone who's been pressed to the margins and you're not in predominantly black, if you're black or brown, you're not in black and brown spaces, then your press to belong leads you down this road where you have an option to, as you named, assimilate. And when you assimilate, which is the demand of majority culture, right? And in North America, that's whiteness, that's uh, nationalism, you know, that's being more Canadian or more American. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And what, is, what are the dominant layers that define what that is? And so when you choose to assimilate, and, and let's be frank, for new immigrants, sometimes you got to assimilate in some aspect to survive. Totally. So I got to go easy on new immigrants. Like, I'm not calling you to, like, figure it all out. Like, we assimilated, and that's why we have success 40 years later here totally. in that's Canada. How, that's how my parents were, yeah. Yeah, you got you to gotta play that game. And, but here's the problem. When you do that, you also give up a piece of yourself. You give up a piece of your identity. Like, it costs something to assimilate and unfortunately, that cost means giving up something about you. Your identity is suppressed. Your culture is suppressed. You give up those pieces that actually make you you in order for survival. And that ain't right. That's not right. It shouldn't have to be that way, although there are pragmatics to it. And so. Yeah, I, Grace to. First generation immigrants, yeah, or, yes, that, that yeah. are figuring out how their life works, yeah, and and grace, and it sh- they shouldn't have to. So all that seeks to make us less whole and calls us to uh, into a, a sense or an illusion of belonging is one that demands assimilation into whiteness, and unfortunately, that means that you lose a piece of yourself, and for so many of us now. Uh, either first gen after being here for decades or second or third gen even, you start to make sense and, and, and start to reclaim aspects of your people in, in order to find ultimate wholeness, right? That, that's where that road is going. Totally. You, you got to reclaim to find who your people are because that's so much a part of driving who you are tomorrow. There's a portion of your book, I think you're quoting someone else, and it says, belonging is in my nature, therefore I belong everywhere, and so does everyone else. Yeah. I agree with that idea. Yeah. But it's hard to apply it, isn't it? Like, it's hard to feel like I do. Yeah. That's uh, Sebony Selassie, and and she is a writer, um, a Buddhist writer who wrote on belonging. Um, I've struggled with it. Like, I I make some sense with it, but I struggle with that because I don't think you can determine as an individual that you belong everywhere. Like, uh, if you read the book, you'll see that that narrative arc is the piece that I question. And of course, I pull out every white person's favorite, Brené Brown. I Uh, love your work with Brené Brown, too. (laughs) Like, there's a question of, like, can you actually determine, self-determine belonging? 
And so there is an aspect of you are are holding on to who you are so well, or you know yourself so fully that it doesn't matter what anyone else says. But I don't think, because of the colonial nature of it, that you can just up and say you belong somewhere. That there needs to be an affirmation on top of that, which is connected to both community and also to land. So I don't think Indigenous folks, and, and, and this is my interaction, it's not what Indigenous folks are saying, uh, that you can just belong because you've landed on the land and you say you do. Mm-hmm. There is an invitation there is a relationship going on. There is a holistic connection between people, between land, between God, of course, that I think determines our sense of belonging. So it's not just us uh, determining if we're, we belong or not, but at the same time, we are not necessarily uh, influenced by outside demands of belonging, because that could tip into the realm of assimilation. So there is a balance there, but there's also a tension of, I don't know if you belong just because you say you do, you know? Totally agree with that. I love that. I mean, I think that forcing our belonging can often be violent. I don't really think that's mm. what this author is saying, but yeah, we got to no. be careful with, uh, there's gunpowder there. Mm. So, as as a person of color in a PWI, as, as someone who is a minority in a majority institution, you list out these four ways that we can belong. You can assimilate, you can, you can assimilate, which we already talked about. Yeah. You can join an ethnic church, you can try to build one. diversity, yeah. or yeah. you can leave. Yeah. You say all of, you'll eventually get to two different solutions towards the end of the book about how we can... Yeah. How, th- th- that are better than these. But, like, why do these fall short? Don't... Why isn't joining an ethnic church an option? Why isn't building diversity? Oh, it is. And so, like, I was shaped and formed in the institution um, or white evangelicalism. I went to seminary. But I haven't served in my career as a minister, a very part-time minister within the institution. Like, I've had blips here and there, but I was never in. So, what I'm building and creating is, um, as much as I can divorce myself from that institutional formation, is a a decolonized, non-institutional form of of Christian belonging and and Christianity. Uh, It's the attempt, at least. So, these mm-hmm. other options, specifically, and I'm writing to those who've been pressed to the margins, I center racialized minorities, but it can be any person who, by the theology you hold, by your sexuality, by your abilities or disabilities, uh, these things uh, push you out of the white heteronormative gaze. So, some pieces of it do work. Like, ethnic churches, they do work. They give you place to belong uh, if you fit into a particular ethnicity. They tend to be closed, but some for good reason. Like, the black institutional church or the Chinese church, they have emerged because black or Chinese bodies were not permitted full belonging into white institutional churches. Uh as a person on the margins, especially racialized minorities, or even gender, like if you're a woman, you don't fully belong into white evangelicalism or any white institutional church. There's always something that says that you're not fully here because you don't match that white heteronormative male body. And so that's the problem with one, assimilation. The problem with two, ethnicity, it can be narrow, but it is still a good place if you need a home. Uh, a lot of second, third gen folks are coming back into their ethnic traditions because they just can't survive anywhere else. Uh, the third option of let's try to build diversity at, within the context of institution, I don't think works because institutions are designed to keep things the same. And most in the West are rooted in whiteness or white supremacy and Christian supremacy. So any attempt at diversity has a limit. Totally. So I don't think you work uh, that produces the uh, wholeness or ultimate belonging. And so if you're presented with those options and you're someone on the margin, what, uh, margins, what do you do? And one of the real options, especially, especially if you have experienced harm, is you just leave. Totally. You get out. 
I've seen that so many times. Yep. And I've seen the failings of assimilation, of jo- joining an ethnic church, of building diversity, you know. Like, I can't join an Egyptian church mm-hmm. that's affirming. I didn't even know one. Yeah. Like, yeah. And yeah. as a queer brown person, it's like, okay, I don't belong here either. Yeah. 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 There's the heteronormativity problems with ethnic churches. Patriarchy is just rife. Like, there's, it's throughout. Like, you're going to be banging your head against the wall <laughs> on, on the levels of different intersections. Like, as a multi ethnic person, as I share in the book, I'm not Caribbean enough to go to Caribbean church and I'm not black. Uh, and I'm, brown enough maybe but there are none around here i'm not chinese enough for chinese church like i'm way too brown mm-hmm. and tall <laughs> and i'm not japanese enough for japanese church what is your ethnic makeup do you want to share that with us yeah i was born in trinidad so my ancestors from trinidad trinidad is has a really cool story in that right now there's still racialized hierarchies it's been colonized but between black and brown and so black folks are enslaved, brought to the island, displaced the indigenous folks. And then when slavery ended, the uh, the Brits needed a cheap labor force, so they brought in uh, Indians from India. Those are my f- folks on my dad's side. So I was born in Trinidad and then immigrated to Canada in the uh, mid-80s. My Chinese and Japanese side have been in Canada much longer, and so the Japanese side in between the wars and the Chinese side, I believe, just before uh, the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. So they've been here for 100 plus years, uh, still new to the land, but all those different intersections make me who I am, so and there's much. no place so for rich. me if it's mm-hmm. ethnic, right? If it's ethnic alone. So I, part of it is the story of what a multi-ethnic person, how do we, or biracial where do we go? Well, there ain't no place for us, except if we create something which is exhausting or we assimilate in some manner. So there's got to be better. Totally, totally. And I, I love that book, your book for that reason. You talk about deconstruction being a part of belonging, part of figuring out who you are, um, and part of going into what's next. Can you talk to us? What is deconstruction as a Christian? What does that mean exactly? And how is it important to belonging? There's no set definition. Uh, I think folks would be like, oh, have you ever read Dorita? And um, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, like 20 years ago. But this is about questioning and questioning all that ain't right. And when you start questioning institutions or your church or your faith, you're doing work of deconstruction. Right. When you start pulling away the, the layers that ain't right or that seek to make those on the margins less whole— that action, that work is deconstruction. You are pulling away the bad pieces unto wholeness and liberation. That's deconstruction. And everyone needs to do that work. And you can use a different label when it comes to uh, trying to imagine or reform or do things in a better way. It requires those questions. And, and to interrogate your faith and determine what is worth keeping, what you discard, and what actually does grant life. So I do present a pathway there of deconstruction because it's so hot now. Totally. <laughs> the book, book wasn't initially pointed to, to the work or to those deconstructing, but I added it because it does name the work and the process that many go through. Right? Totally. And so... Why is that important to belong in? I think especially for folks on the margins, when we talk about spaces where all can belong, and man, I just long for those spaces and those safe communities. Everyone uses the word safe, but those actually real, tangible, touch-feel communities that are safe for all, in order to get there, we need to process out of a lot of formation that is rooted in, in power, malformed power. Uh, so that could be white supremacy, that could be uh, imperialism, all these big words. There, there are pieces within our own selves and our own formation that we need to name and make sense of in order for us to get a better sense of what that better way looks like. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think the questions are crucial. 
we have to be able to name what we are going away from so we don't replicate. We have to be able to learning deconstruction can help us learn how we don't belong, you know, um, and move into something new too. Yeah. You need the naming piece or else you'll replicate and, and you won't be able to put sense to what is pulling you back. Right. What is the powers that are seeking for you to be less? Part of naming these powers, deconstructing is, as we've learned, even as a, as a church and a local community, that we have to name where white supremacy is in our body, in our bodies. Um, yeah. And I get the same line all the time. You call it white supremacy, you're being divisive. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah classic. Um, all the time. Ta- it, it, it's 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 amazing from every segment, you know. And talk to us oh, about God. why um, calling out white supremacy is not actually divisive. Yeah, naming the division isn't divis- isn't division. Right, naming You're just, the division a- isn't division. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can't handle that, that's when it goes into the realm of fragility, and it makes sense, right? Culturally, whiteness operates so deftly that it is invisible. And to pull to the forefront what is on the surface, out in the open, unacceptable in our society, and that is to be a racist. That is unacceptable. But what is be behind that and operating with efficiency is the cultural artifacts of whiteness and how they shape and form every aspect of our society. Every aspect of our society. Mm-hmm. And so just teasing out and putting and pulling them into the light, that's not division. That is naming what is seeking to make all of us, really, less whole. So if you can't handle that, man, you, you got to do your work. And so I'm in a place now where I, I don't entertain that. Like, if you're in the community and you're doing that, like, you can venture with us, but we don't have space for that. You need to go and do your own work, and there's plenty of opportunity and options for you to do that work. I am not going, unless you pay me, <laughs> I'm not going to help you through that. You need to deal with what is it inside you, in your body? What is right. it in your body that is right. is is feeling like, oh, that's so out of place. Just, no, oh, don't say that. Like, you got to do the deconstructing work and interrogate what on earth is going on that is making you think that naming these malformed powers is the problem and not trying to dismantle them unto whole liberation for all. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we start talking about white supremacy, one of the ways that we see it express itself is in, is in institutional exceptionalism. Um, and in my experience, exceptionalist communities, they're the types of places, to go back to the uh, an early quote, that want you to change who you are to fit in because they're already the ideal mold. Um, and how, how do we resist that? How do we change that? How, how do we re- repent of exceptionalism? Uh, the, you use the word? Uh, it's resistance, but you can only resist what you're aware of. So there needs to be an alertness that something ain't right there. And you mm-hmm. can often feel it in your body if you're attentive to your body. And many of us, perhaps most, are not attentive to our bodies where they're saying, ooh, that, that's, not, that's not right. So for myself, I don't bother like if you are a community that is operating within the realm of Christian supremacy, you're not asking questions. You are, and this is more of an American thing than a Canadian thing. Um, you think that you are the gatekeeper of truth. No one gave you that, right? But you think you're the gatekeeper of truth, of the Bible says, of the mm-hmm. biblical position is, and so forth. Now, you can, you can hold those opinions but at the end of the day, they're just that, opinions. And you should hold them with an open hand. But to suggest you're protecting some way of life, when you go beneath the layers, you realize that that protection is really one of guarding the inheritance of malformed power, which is white supremacy and Christian supremacy. 
Totally. I mean, we were very resistant to outside influences, very resistant to listening to the way of the world. We thought we had it right. And we were into social justice. We were into anti-racism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but There's we couldn't really see where the issues were. There's always and a it limit. Caused, yeah. It caused a major fissure as a result. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's hard. That's hard because you can't bring people if they don't want to go. And ultimately and you've seen this, and I'm sure you feel the pain of this, is that if you, as a white person, do not have any significant relationships and you never have with someone who's not like you, then you really won't have any impetus to to care very much for any type of change that would seek to take you off the pedestal of, of, of privilege. Totally. I'm and totally to even name that. what I just said, it's like, if you're not there, I just offended you. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think that we have to be honest, but one of, the, one of the issues with calling these things out is that in an effort to create belonging spaces for minorities, for racial minorities, for sexual minorities, we have to name these truths. Mm-hmm. And when we do, the people that have reigned supreme feel an iota of discomfort. Yeah. Not, nothing compared to what we have, but mm, they yeah. feel it. And then all of a sudden yeah. we're organizing around them. All of a sudden yeah. you're being mean. Ooh. You're being divisive. Which is you're being centering cruel. them once again. Totally. Totally. So Christians believe in systemic sin. A lot of them do anyway. We have original sin. We have this. We understand that sin is bigger than we are. That, yeah. Um, yeah. that It's cursed the whole world. And Jesus came not to save just individuals, but... All of us. Um, so then when we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about homophobia, when we talk about ableism, hmm. why don't we make the connection right away to sin as we understand it as a, as a, as, as a systemic issue? I think it, it goes back to, from, to the top of how much of our faith has been individualized and that we have turned the gospel into an individual experience of rescuing my individual soul to spend in my my individual time singing Bethel songs in heaven for eternity. <laughs> like if you couldn't name a more like obtuse and backwards picture of what the actual hope is, that's it. But so many like have that picture. So I use the example of systemic sin in, in, the, in the sense that evangelicals or reformers, anyone out of the reformed traditions, they are, are Protestants for that matter, um, and Catholics, believe in original sin, all Christians pretty much, right? So that's an easy place to start. How it affects from there is, is, is the question of theology. So, in the very least, there's this sense that the kingdom of God has been broken at some point, that this unfolding right. rightness uh, and right relationship of all things was broken at some point. And we give it the name sin. And so, there is a systemic quality to that, that it pervades into all aspects of our life, not just individually, but now we have to tangibly put it into the very systems of our world. And when we do that, which, by the way, matches how the New Testament talks about the world, cosmos, so the cosmos, that that is often... uh, makes sense to use the word system rather than the world, that the systems that we, we, we wage powers and principalities and the systems that are at work. When we can make that connection, we can then add or help name the uh, fabric that we can't see, be it whiteness, be it systemic racism, be it any aspect of system and culture uh, in institutions, uh, it starts to make sense because we already have that understanding and language we can springboard from. We can then apply it to all the all all of these different malformed institutional or systemic problems. Uh, pick one, and then you know, go try to undo it. Absolutely. You, as you get more into some theological areas, um, you have this great biblical observation that I've also seen before, where you're talking about the inclusion of Gentile believers into ultimately the covenant that God made with Abraham mm-hmm. into the church. Mm-hmm. And a radical change happens in our understanding of what our body can be. 
What does Gentile hmm. inclusion have to do with LGBTQIA inclusion? Yeah. So I, I paint that story. This isn't, and an, as a cisgendered male, you know, it's not my story, but I think that the... I think you did it very well. I just wanted to let you know. Say, thanks. Um, there are two pieces here. So in Acts 10, there's a story of, of uh, Peter and the clean and unclean foods. Well, that's massive. Like, that's huge for this voice of God to say, do not call unclean what I've called now clean. And so there's a religious aspect to Judaism where that was undone in that moment. Now, not all Christian Jews, like the early church now, adopted that, but the... I would say most didn't. Yeah. But... Like, I would say they still followed the Jewish yeah, law. Yeah, uh, yes. And yet the council, the leaders there, I would assume, trying to continue to embody the radical inclusion of, of a leadership rooted in Jesus, uh, sought to reduce that religious barrier or, or eliminate it. The other for aspect yeah. for Gentiles, the other aspect was circumcision. And so this is the inheritance into the family. Um, that was promised to Abraham, that Mark now becomes the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts 10, when Peter visits Cornelius, the Holy Spirit, up until this point, the Spirit descends upon all the Jews on Pentecost, but suddenly there's an expansive inclusion with the house of Gentiles, with Cornelius, and, and, and they don't have to be circumcised. So the Spirit of God just breaks down these dividing walls in this magnificent way. And I think the church at that point, the Jerusalem Council, they process, and they do it for other things as well, they process the old rules and regulations of religion, and they say what doesn't apply to their contemporary context anymore. They do that work. They say, "Mm, that made sense before, Uh, it doesn't now, to put it simply. And so we're in the same space where we are permitted to exercise the same discernment as that uh, New Testament church to to figure out what it means to belong, what it means, and, and specifically to our contemporary context, what it means to be married, and whether or not LGBTQ two plus s folks can be married if they so choose right and i think the example in scriptures there is that there is a contextualization that happens in the church and it's okay for us to do the same now and we can embody the same radical inclusion of undoing old religious orders that the new testament church also did so those are the two prongs to say that there is the biblical credence for us to now point to the fundamental aspects, the root uh, sources of what it means to be radically inclusive and love one another. Right. Uh, and, and that is found in the liberation of all, especially those on the margins. And that mm-hmm. includes the liberation to love who you love and, and if you so choose, be married. I'm using marriage as like the 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 pedestal, like the ultimate. It doesn't have to be that, but I'm using that as an example because that is the stumbling block piece in most totally. of contemporary conservative Christianity. So it Excellent. can be undone. And we have the examples in the New Testament church in the scriptures. Excellent. You mentioned four ways earlier that we talked about. Yeah. Assimilation join an ethnic church, build diversity, leave the church to belong. And then you end with these two that I love. One is to start something new. Yeah. And the other one involves collaborating. Let's talk about those two ideas. Yeah. Starting something new and collaborating as viable options for us to belong. So when I say in the four, build diversity, I do put that within the context of you build diversity within some... Uh, institutional um, paradigm. So, like, you might church plant or an existing church will try to become more diverse. Never works. So, the other one is church plant, but church plant within an institution 
Uh, and usually the churches who church plant are evangelicals. Led uh, by white men, almost always. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a little different now in the U.S., but it's the same sort of planting organizations, right? Rooted in whiteness and, and white men and, and white hegemony. So that's no good in that white men foremost do not have the skills or formation to lead multi-ethnic as safe spaces for those on the margins. They just don't. And if there's a white man in at the helm of something, like the best you can do, I think, is to become, and this is very controversial, I'm sorry, the best you can do is to become anti-racist in your congregation. The best. If you absolutely, that's the that's and I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, like and, and like you know, you know, and we've been through, and we're not old, right? But we've been through enough that we we know what's going to happen, even if we put in the energy. And some POCs, uh, they think that if they just hang on a little longer in those quote unquote diverse spaces, that they will usher in some level of change. And you wind up giving up years of your life for nothing. So, right. so I'm like, get out while you can. Well, that's not to say, like, that's harder work. And so I salute you if you're trying. The, the plant new things is to start new things and to take it out of church planter language, because that's sort of privileged, is that maybe the 12 people that you hang out with and eat meals with and maybe have book club with, or I don't know, CrossFit with, or you just share s- spiritual moments with, but that tight community, maybe that's it. Maybe you just totally. become intentional with those 12 a little bit more and start to shape and form and make sense of what faith looks like to be Jesus followers. What does that look like together? And so that's starting a new thing. And we need to affirm and say, you don't need a church building. You don't need an MDiv. You don't need uh, white dad's permission. You can do and start those things. And they count There there are, of course, church aspects or other aspects of formation that will help you, but they count. Totally. The collaboration is to say you can't do it alone, and that's from experience. And that you might start the new thing, you might be looking for, uh, you know, something. It's okay, uh, this is counter what I just said, but it's okay for you to A, collaborate and join with something that you think and test initially but that you think is glimpsing better onto whole, holistic and healthy community. Uh, and, and we need all these small attempts to, to join and collaborate rather than going off, and this is the, where I contradict myself, rather than going off and starting your own thing. You know, maybe you don't need to start your own podcast or Instagram reels or TikTok or whatever. You can join the thing. That's a bad example. So maybe you don't need to start your own church. You can collaborate with the multi-ethnic expression that's just getting off somewhere down the road. Like that that's a possibility. So I love that. Just just keep the door open for the possibilities of both affirming what is already happening but also do better at collaborating w- with what is already on the ground running. So we see in the church, and you draw this comparison directly, you're using Willie Jennings and other writers too, how the church has been complicit in European savagery, that in the history of the church, there's yeah. been so much yeah. white supremacy born into it. Yeah. And then you point to this idea of seeing Jesus through the lens of the disinherited. You point to alternatives to white supremacy that Christians can take. As we end here, I want you to help encourage people who feel like Christianity is just hopelessly white supremacist because yeah. of that yeah. sordid history. Yeah. How yeah. do we find something new? What are yeah. the alternatives... Mm-hmm. What does it look like to see Jesus through the lens of the disinherited? Yeah, which is a Howard Thurman reference book. Um, really great book. Yeah. Um, and and if you're going to read that, you got to pick up James Cone. Yeah, it's not just... So I use the context of the West to be specific. Western imperialism, um, you know, maybe parts of Europe. Mm. But the West, they not just complicit, birthed out of the, the white supremacist colonization, imperialism, <laughs> capitalism, like all the isms, birthed out of the church in collaboration with empire, residential schools, 
enslavement and specifically because white folks would always be like, oh, slavery was always around. Specifically anti-black transatlantic slave trade rooted in anti-blackness is uh, associated as a product of the church. Um, uh, uh, Annihilating indigenous folks on the land was given credence and affirmation by the church, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. So, if you are operating under the assumption that all of Christianity in the West, or just all of Christianity is rooted in those things, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And so, that's why I say in the book, and use that as the tagline of what is worth reclaiming? Is there anything worth reclaiming? So, Absolutely. I say Yes. As a racialized minority, I say yes, because if we go behind, before all the Christian supremacy of the five, past 500 years, and we, we can't ignore it, um, outside of the absolute malformed roots and foundations, the bedrock of what, are, what is institutional Christianity today in the West, there is something worth reclaiming rooted in the marginalized Jesus or the disinherited Christ. Totally, totally. That Jesus was a marginalized person. He was under Roman occupation in the process of being colonized. And I think it all wraps up around some of the basic truths that Jesus taught in that in this kingdom world that Jesus teaches and pictures, the last become first. Like, that doesn't change. Just because now Christians uh, are now the richest, right? And they have bedded with empire and with the notions of uh, the Protestant work ethic, which is capitalism and accumulation. It doesn't shift the foundational words of Jesus of the last shall become first and the first last that we should be reaching out to strive towards justice for all. It's not individual righteousness is a funny mistranslation that we often do, or intentional translation. That, is, that righteousness is, in fact, justice, if we go to the Beatitudes. Absolutely. Um, when we talk about those who will inherit the kingdom, it is the, the least, the least, those on the margins. That's right. And that is speaking, therefore, to all those who've been oppressed by Christian supremacy, that that is the, the wrong space. And I'm not trying to dissuade and say that Christianity here, oh, give it another chance. You don't have to. You don't have to. But know this, that there is a story of the marginalized Jesus who is continuously pu- pushing and pulling for the liberation of the margins first. Totally. And that liberation is the place, I believe, so my belief, is the place where we find our whole selves. Totally agree with you. That's beautiful. Well, thanks for that. And I hope that is encouraging to y'all as you listen to what Rahadi had to say here. Thanks so much for being on our show, dude. It's so good to have you. Yeah, um, man. So good to spend we time. We want to keep following you. Where, where, where can we keep up with what you're up to? Uh, probably Instagram, Twitter, newsletter. So it's all Rohati. Are you at Rohati everywhere? Uh, not on Instagram, but on Twitter. On Twitter, you're just at Rohati. On Instagram, what is it? Rohati.nagasar. Awesome. Um, find me there, yeah. And his book is When We Belong, and you have two others as well. What, um, you said, do you have anything for us to look forward to? What else are you up to? You know, I have a podcast as well. You were on the last season. And so that's just just similar to what you're doing. You know, it's a teaching tool for the community. Tell us Um, the name of it. Faith in a Fresh Vibe. Faith in a Fresh Vibe. Trying to reimagine what community looks like outside of all those hegemonic spaces that we decry. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for being here, dude. It was really cool. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Charlie. All right, dude. I'll talk to you. Thanks for that interview, Johnny. We want to wrap up this episode with uh, sharing with each other and with you what is nourishing to our soul. Um, Johnny, what's what's feeding you this past week or two? I'm meeting new people. I just moved to a new neighborhood, and 
Fishtown, which is where the congregation we are is, and I I went to like a tango party. I didn't dance, but I watched it, and I was enchanted by the dance, and I wanted to learn how to do it. And I was making small talk with someone, and they said, "Oh, I know you. You're this person." And it was interesting to be in a neighborhood context and receive that kind of feedback. And then I went to a a Fishtown dads gathering. Hanging out with old people is really interesting because you realize you're old, you know. <laughs> Um, and like there was at the end there were there was guys playing guitar and then they started playing Weezer and I was like man <laughs> I am old it's official <laughs> like there's no more you know I was just gonna say you are not old but uh, <laughs> Weezer yeah you know and then they're doing Radiohead and and then I requested Radiohead like from an album that came out during the Clinton administration so like. <laughs> It's just wild, right? But, but but the fun is just going into a room, not knowing anybody, and then just being myself, talking to people, relating, connecting, learning new stories, and making new connections. And I really like that. And for many, many reasons, it hasn't happened in, in, in mm-hmm. recently to me. So I am grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Speaking of being old, I went to a Wu-Tang Clan show, and... Everyone there was old too. <laughs> you know, like like the RZA said, "How many of you are born in the '80s?" And everyone yelled. And then there was a louder yell for the '70s. So it's like, <laughs> man, how are we up? We're all tired. He even said to us, "You guys look tired. You guys are old." You know, like he's telling us, like we can't hang anymore. It's true. It's true. Uh, I don't know. I think that. Uh... We just have a different relationship with our bodies and find new mm-hmm. ways to find joy and play and fun. I don't I don't like to uh reinforce that idea too much that being old means you can't do these things you love. <laughs> so I'm glad you're doing these things you love, Johnny, and it's nourishing your soul. Um and being older, I should say. Um, I'm going to share, speaking of, uh, our conversation earlier about Judaism and, uh, anti-Semitism and Christianity, I'm, I'm trying to learn from some Jewish scholars. And so one of, one of the things I did was subscribe to Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg's, um, blog, And I'm going to read her book. It just came out this week on repentance and repair. But in her in her blog post this past week, um, her newsletter, she shared a resource called Tree FM. And it is a website where you can listen to forests. And it's so cool. (laughs) It was basically her sharing what's nourishing her soul. Um, and so I, I clicked on it to check it out. You can listen to... What's sound- a forest sound like? Yeah, exactly, right? You, you, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. The forest is full of sounds. It's full of, of things that are alive. You can hear the leaves, hear the insects, hear the birds. You can literally hear the space in the forest or the lack of space, the density. Like there's so much of an auditory experience of a forest that has been nourishing my soul. Because I would love to go to all of these forests and I cannot. There are recordings and each recording has a photo of the location. So you get a visual, um, you know, image of where Mm. you are. And then you can close your eyes and just listen. And it's not as good at, as being there, but it is um, surprisingly immersive experience um, that feels. The reason it's nourishing my soul, I think, is that it, it um, for me, being out in nature, it helps me connect to the presence of God everywhere. Uh, so quote-unquote traveling in my mind um, through the sounds of these forests is like just it feels like an expansive experience of connection to god that is beautiful so check it out if you're interested tree.fm can i add one more thing 
Yeah. One thing that's related to that that's been nourishing my soul is in Brooks Falls, Alaska, there's a live camera that just shows us what bears are up to. There's bears up there. And they <laughs> and they hang out and they sit in the river and they're not doing anything and they wait, they catch a fish with their mouth and then they eat it there or they go somewhere else and eat it and they're just living their life and I like watching them do that, you know? You sent that to me earlier this week and I had to like, I had to consciously turn it off and like get back to work because I could sit and watch the bears too. I'm watching one now eat a piece of, uh, eating, he's eating salmon. It looks pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, they're not not doing anything, right? They're sitting there because the salmon are um, moving upstream and they're literally like jumping the waterfall. It's amazing the salmon are moving against the current and the current is fast. So like these fish are doing pretty good. Um, too, you know, I like I'm watching more around me, like the the moon is mer- nourishing my soul. Um, I got to observe the moon is beautiful this week. It was huge. Yes, what, it, like what am I noticing? What's happening to me? You know, or like I'm at John Hines Wildlife Refuge and I'm watching herons and watching what they do for a while. It's just so fascinating. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Tree FM, and I'll link them. Brooks Falls video too. Thanks for listening. Write to us and share what's nourishing your soul this week. Until next time. <laughs>